This is PT Pro Talk, the podcast for physical therapists who want to improve their clinical skills and be more successful. My name is Mariana Parts, physical therapist and your host. In today's episode, I interview Dr. Nick Rainey to discuss clearing the lumbar spine. Nick discusses how to differentiate whether peripheral pain originates from a spinal source. He talks about what to look for in the subjective and objective exams to help in the differentiation between extremity and spinal pain. We delve into how to determine the relevance of back pain, how quickly we should expect to see results, and whether multiple contributing factors such as both extremity and spine issues are possible. Additionally, he provides us with a few examples of patient cases to help clarify the topic and much more. If that sounds interesting to you, stay tuned and keep listening. Dr. Nick Rainey, our guest, is board certified in orthopedic physical therapy and a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic and Manual Physical Therapists. He has also earned the credential of certified cervical and temporomandibular therapist by the physical therapy Board of Craniofacial and Cervical Therapeutics and is Pelvic Health Certified through Evidence in Motion. He is the founder of Rainy Pain and Performance, a private practice in Sierra Vista, Arizona. Thank you for joining us and I hope you enjoyed the show. PT ProTalk is only possible with the support of the forward-looking and innovative companies like Systems for PT, the do-anything, anytime EMR. Systems for PT develops systems for clinics so you can focus on your patients. Go to systemsforpt.com to schedule a demo today. Looking for the highest quality equipment for your clinic? Turn to Fitter First. Our wobble, rocker, and slant boards are all assembled in North America to meet the demands of a busy professional clinic. Designed to adjust in seconds and made from the highest quality materials. Get the best Canadian-made rehab and balance products for your clinic. Order online for your clinic or for your clients. Ground shipping anywhere in North America. Visit fitterone.com. That's F-I-T-T-E-R, the numeral1.com. Hi, Nick. Welcome to PT Pro Talk. How are you today? I am fabulous, Mariana. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So let's get started talking a little bit about yourself and your background for the ones that don't know you. Yeah, for sure. I uh, am a physical therapist. I enjoy being a physical therapist. And I have a private practice here in Sierra Vista, Arizona, which is a somewhat rural city. Um, it's, it's about the right size for us. It's not podunk. It has plenty of stuff to, to place at the shop and eat and do. Uh, it's not too far from the Mexican border, but it's not a border town. Uh, we have eight providers here at this practice. Plus, I have some other healthcare things in the city. We have another separate practice that just treats people uh, who have Medicaid insurance. So we can make sure we hit that population well. And I've done a lot of different trainings, and we get I have a lot of opportunities to teach here in the clinic with uh we have fellow people that are doing fellowships. I'm a mentor for people doing fellowship, people doing residencies. So I'm a mentor for people doing residencies. We have students. We also have family medicine residents. We're DOs in our hospital's residency program. They come in our clinic and spend some time with us as well. And then we get a lot of time to 
practice techniques and they get the opportunity to lecture here in the clinic and and other conferences and con ed things as well. Awesome. And this topic came up uh, with a friend uh, of mine that did one of your courses, right? Talking about um, clearing the lumbar spine. And I think that's a very a polemic topic, but I think it's important to discuss that sometimes I think we spend a lot of time on the extremity and sometimes it's coming from a spinal source and sometimes could be the opposite. We go crazy on the spine trying to find everything there and it's, sometimes it's not. So let's talk about that portion of how, how do we clear the spine? I know you have a, a course on that, right? Oh, yes. There's a lot to it, obviously. You know, we have the subjective and the objective portions of it. Uh, typically, as I'm doing the subjective interview, I'm starting to gain, you know, an idea of, you know, what my hypothesis is, right? That's PT 101. You know, you should have an idea of what it is going into the objective. If you have no idea, you didn't do a great job in your subjective. Absolutely. Um, so I, um, I like to say that if they know, the easy ones are the ones that they know. You know, the patient says, I bend over, I feel it go from my back down my leg. You know, you should be able to pick up on, you know, we all pick up on those. But the patient comes in knowing. And it, but the difficult ones are when they think it's an extremity. Is it really? That's, that's always my question. If, and oftentimes those are going to be more difficult to be very confident coming out of the subjective. Sometimes you will be, but sometimes there's still going to be a question coming out of the subjective if it's extremity or if it's spine. And that's where the objective really can really come into play. Things in the subjective that really talk to me is position. You know, does it happen more when they're sitting? Um, sitting is one of the, is one of the big ones. Um, and is there no mechanism of injury? And I like to, dif I like to differentiate mechanisms, mechanisms of injury uh, between clear ones and unclear ones. A clear mechanism of injury is, you know, I'm running on the field, I cut, I turn, I feel a pop, my knee swells up. You know, that's, that's a pretty clear MOI. Uh, an unclear one is I was doing something yesterday in the yard and then the next day I had pain. It very well, that very well could be the mechanism of injury. Or maybe it's just a buildup of something else that are a little less clear. Or I used to be doing this, I stopped, or I started doing this. That's why I think it started. That could be the MOI, but it's not as clear. And even if that is the mechanism of injury, it still could be spine or extremity, right? You know, we've had people that are shoveling, you know, could have bothered rotator cuff or could have bothered their neck. You know, now it's referring out to the shoulder. You know, either of those, even if it's the MOI, it's not a clear MOI. You know, I like the clear MOI of, I don't like them, but, you know, it makes it easier if you're running and you cut it and you, you know, you twist and you feel a pop. Um, so that's subjective wise, uh, what I'm, what I'm really looking for. And then in the objective, so a lot of times I'm going to go into the objective and here's something that I do that I think is important for therapists is I talk to the patient about my thought process early. Uh, tell them what I'm trying to figure out. You know, so if I say, you know, we're if we're talking lumbar spine and they say they have a hip problem and I'm wondering if it's the back, 
What if they went to the primary care, they had x-rays, they said it's arthritis, and they're coming to me just for treatment for arthritis. And I'm looking, I'm, maybe it is, maybe it's also the back, maybe it's just the back. I set it up early. I need to, I want to look, I want to make sure we're not missing anything. There may be a back contribution, you know, and not just a hip. And if they say, oh no, there's no way you're right, you know, then I see that, oh, they're, they're fighting me a little bit. I'm going to have to really set this up. Uh-huh. Or, you know what? I was thinking it might be the back. You know, I thought maybe they were wrong. Ooh, that's, that's going to be an easy one if I get, if I'm going to go lumbar spine, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I set it up early so I know how much of a sales job I need to do at the end. So if at the end I say, I think it's your back, they're like, and then they, then they give me the first pushback. Then it's a hard sales job. Then I, I didn't set it up. I mean, if you think about sales for anything else, you know, you're setting, you know, you're setting it up throughout the whole entire sales presentation. And at the end, we want them to believe that we're right. That's what therapeutic alliance, if they think we've thinking we're wrong, we didn't do a good enough job communicating with them. And yeah. we, we've yeah. all had that happen to us, right? Yeah, because they can get aggravated really, really quickly and easily. If you, if you see like they, yep, there is no way it's my, my back is my hip. I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure my hip, then, you know, like, yeah, that one is, it's going to be tough. So, yep. And so that's the, you know, if you're selling cars, that's the person who doesn't really want a car coming in. You better do a really good job. And sometimes you get there and sometimes you don't, but I find setting it up early is quite helpful. Uh, so as we go on to the objective examination, uh, we'll keep with hip for an example here. I first, if I'm going to be looking at the back, one of the first things I like to do is a myotome exam. I find myotomes are the most sensitive. I don't have real good research on that. And the reason is because when we look at research, a lot of times those subjects, there's an MRI or EMG gold standard. They're about to go in for surgery and they're testing these things. You know, what is that? I mean, that's most of our patients in a physical therapy clinic are not about to go into surgery. They're hoping that we can help them. And so I often find that myotome testing, good myotome testing is the most sensitive. And I'm pretty rigorous with it. If I find that there's ankle or toe weakness, for instance, you know, you think about ankle dorsiflexion or, you know, first toe extension, you know, those are good L4, L5 tests. If that's weak, oh, that really helps me build a case. Your hip isn't making your foot weak, um, but your back may be. And, you know, that's, it starts building that. Now, could their hip pain be from the back and not have any of the myotomal weakness? Sure. But if we get that, then it's a, it's an easier build. So it's a little bit easier sell later. So I typically will do that early on because if it's a lot weaker than I would anticipate, sometimes it's a little weak, but if it's really weak, maybe there's more pathology going on and I need to be more careful in my exam. Um, So there's different ways to structure an exam. My standard is to go neuro first. And then if I have to get them back up, you know, I'll get them back up and do some more functional testing, repeated motions and whatnot. Um, And so... Baseline is neuro. I get them up. And that's what I want to see. What do lumbar motions look like? I want to look and see what they look like to me. And what do they feel like for the patient? Uh, and I know, you know, avid listeners in your podcast are going to be pretty familiar with MDT approach, you know, looking at repeated motions. Uh, and that's, that's essential. Uh, I don't, and it catches most of them. But I do, I do have one example of a lady that it, it missed recently. She came in with coccyx pain. And uh, 
pain was sitting. Seems like pretty classic coccyx pain. It was tender to the touch at the coccyx. And I did a lot of my normal coccyx treatment and it didn't get, it wasn't better after two or three visits. And normally I see some improvements. I really hadn't seen any. And the first day I said, well, I don't think it's your back. She didn't report any back pain, but let me clear. I had her do some repeated motions. I even had her do lumbosacral extension combined with a standing extension 10 times. I did a quadrant when I overpressured it for 10 seconds on each side. And I was like, okay, I'm confident. You know, we don't need to look at your back anymore. Uh, But when we hadn't made progress, they say, okay, what have I missed? And when I went, I did some palpation assessment. I saw it was very sensitive to touch her back. And when I treated the back, we instantly started making progress. Uh, So after I do a repeated motion exam, often I will go um, and I'll do some accessory mobility testing uh, to see how does the back feel to them and how does it feel to me. Um, I don't always do that like I didn't do it that first day with her because I didn't think it was a back issue. Uh, but my standard is typically I go there. So for like a hip, I will do that. And if it's more sensitive to them or definitely more, you know, different mobility to me on the ipsilateral side, that builds a case that it may be, it may be from the back and not just extremity. So you just, let me just see if I got it right. So you just apply pressure to their backs to see if they have pain or if you feel any restriction to kind of double check. Yeah, so I typically look at a posterior to anterior accessory mobility testing and we can go or, you know, there's lots of systems that have grading for that and whatnot. But mostly I want to know what does it feel like for them and what does it feel like for me? And is it a big Uh deal? If Uh neither of you are sure, it's probably not a big deal. If you're both sure that it's like, yeah, that one's, you know, something's, you know, stiff or painful there and you both agree on it. Yeah, let's see if maybe treating that would be helpful for it. And and how interesting that on that first day, it didn't seem like it was until you're right. very specific, applying pressure there and, and noticing. So it's it's ve- you have to be very careful and diligent with like your exam because it, it, you can just miss it. Yep. That is very yep. true. Okay. So, and then after that, the objective, you go check the joints. Yeah. So at that point, it depends on what I've found. You know, if there's been a little bit in the back, it's an unclear. It's pretty clear if I'm getting foot or ankle weakness. You know, they're having pain in the, you know, in the hip especially if there's some in the back, they have some pain with repeated motions or, you know, range of motion testing, a little bit with accessory mobility, and it's weak in the foot, I'm, I'm going to dive into treatment then. But as we know, not everybody is clear cut. <laughs> you know, maybe there's not weakness in the foot, or maybe they had a surgery in the foot, so they don't know if it's weak because of that or if it's myotomal. Um, you know, that can be a challenge because if the hip's weak, they're going to assume it's because of the hip. You know, L4, L5 innervates the glute med. But if that's weak, you know, that really doesn't tell us, you know, is it back or hip? And so I like, that's where I like the foot and ankle. So if that's not weak, maybe the back is a little painful. Maybe you feel a little bit, they're not sure. You know, that's what I like to go to neurodynamic testing, uh, whether it be a slump test or straight leg raise test. I've played a lot more with my straight leg raise testing with the head in extension off the table and also in flexion. I need somebody to do that with me. And if that... um If they feel a different side to side, they don't always have to feel their familiar pain. And a lot of times as PTs, is that your pain? 
It's nice if it is, but if it's not, if they're more limited on that side and you're wondering if it's back, well, there's something changing in the nervous system down that side. So it raises the chance that it's a, it's a back problem for me. Is it a hundred percent? No, none of our tests are really a hundred percent, right? You know, so I'm going to then grade it. And I'm also going to look at the hip, you know, is the hip quite limited or is it not? We have research showing that if the joint motion is full and the spine motion is not, then it's most likely a spine issue. The trouble with that is what if they're both limited, right? You know, I mean, there's, that's where a lot of our patients are, you know, it's nice when we get the clear cut ones that are textbook. Those are, you know, we better not miss those. It's when they're both a little limited. Maybe we have two problems. Maybe one is more than the other. That's where I say, how limited is the back compared to how limited is the hip? You know, which one does it seem like plays out more for them? And typically we go to trial treatment from there. Yep, because it could be both limited, but not necessarily, for example, the spine contributing for the hip necessarily. So that's when it starts to get confusing, which one is playing uh, more in that situation. And is in your experience possible to have both uh, a little bit of spine, a little bit of hip, or like how do you see, do you think it's one or the other? Yeah, very good question. So I typically will try to treat one on the first day so I know how much of a difference that one makes. Uh Uh, Oftentimes there is a little back and forth. Uh, I like to look at what we I call pain generators, the primary pain generator and also the primary impairment. Uh, for instance, I had, you know, I've had people that have very, very limited hip extension, you know, don't even get to neutral and their back hurts. Uh-huh. I don't think it's the hip that's referring up to the back. But if you're always bending forward a little bit walking, your back is going to tire out. Like the back is the pain generator there. But the hip is the primary impairment. You know, they... They get tired with walking. Their back hurts while walking. Well, no wonder they can't. They can't straighten out. And if I walked bending forward everywhere, my back would hurt a lot more too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the same thing. Like for example, on knee surgery, that a lot of times is the knee. They they needed the surgery. They had the surgery, but because of their positioning, they sit a lot more. They are lying down a lot more. They are in more back flexion than usual. So. And they start having a different pain that's not from the surgery necessarily, but it's causing due to the positioning after the surgery coming from the back. And then sometimes the knee doesn't progress well because you have other things sending that, that information to the, the, the knee. So it could be tricky. Uh, yep. We had somebody like that recently. She did. We saw her a couple of years after the surgery. I forget the timeline right after, but she did pretty well and it got worse. And she thought maybe there's a problem with the surgery, but it was laterals and the L5 dermatome. You know, we did a lot, a lot of straight leg, you know, neurodynamic things, worked on her back a little bit. And that's really what helped the pain. But she assumed she'd had a knee surgery. There's pain near the knee. It must be that. Um, but that's obviously not always the case. Yeah. Then every, although you got to put all the pieces together, trying to figure it out the puzzle. And so when you see that, for example, the spinal source is the, the, the main factor, do you see like a difference pretty quickly on the, on the extremity pain or on the range of motion? How usually, how do you usually determine if it is okay, it is the, the, the spine or if after a few visits you don't see any difference, you're like, okay, maybe now it's time to test the other things. 
Yeah, good question. So I like I like to see change the first day. Now, just because I like it doesn't mean it always happens, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I often I do find some change the first day. So if it's a myotomal weakness and I find change the first day, my belief uh, is that it's venous congestion at the nerve root or the ganglia. Uh, we have some evidence that there's a paper in, I don't know, it was a year or two ago, um, that talked about venous congestion at the nerve root and that it wouldn't be seen on MRI. And I think that when I treat the back and I get immediate neurological improvements, then I'm changing that because I wouldn't be changing it like a space-occupying lesion. You know, I don't think I'm going to be making changes. You know, there's a chance discs can be pretty moldable, moldable, you know, stuff. But uh, I, my th- theory is that it's venous congestion. I just needed to get that spot moving specifically because they've been walking around. They've been doing things. Um, but if I get that spot specifically, I can see immediate changes that really develops buy-in for the patient. Now, if I treat it and I don't get any immediate improvement, then I have a decision to make. Did I choose the wrong thing to do or does it take longer? You know, is this a derangement or a dysfunction in MDT language, right? You know, is it going to be taking some time and it's not going to get better quickly or am I barking up the wrong tree? Then it's all about grading my impairments. You know, is it if I was pushing on the back and they felt their pain all the way down their leg or in their familiar spots and it was really sensitive to them and really stiff to me, and the hip was just barely, you know, symptomatic as I was moving it around, I'm probably going to stick with the back. If I was 50-50 and I treat the spine and then there's no improvement, then I'm probably going to give them a hip intervention, you know, for home. Um, If I have enough time, I may just, sometimes I'll say, hey, this is what we did. We didn't see any immediate improvement. Do this back exercise at home. Next session, if there's no difference, then we're going to change. But I need you to do this enough so I know if it changed. You know, if you come back and you haven't done it, we know no more than what we do right now. And so that's how I sell them on their, partly sell them on their home exercise program that I need more information next time. And this is what we're going to do. It also gets them to come back. They say, well, they couldn't help me. I'm not going to go back there. I need to make sure they know what am I going to be doing next session. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your go-to excluding all the possibilities. So if you, yeah, if you go home, doesn't change, you already know, okay, that's not it. Um, Now I'm just curious because the way that you are talking is very familiar with MGT. So like, do you feel like your approach, uh, because like when, um, when you go to courses and things, they always say clear the spine first and all of that. So I was just curious, like, is your rationale like, develop like similar to the MDT um, rationale or you, you add some different things to your process? Like how, how does that work? Yeah, good question. So I'm not officially MDT trained. I did one of the online courses, my orthopedic and manual fellowship training. Uh, There's definitely an MDT influence. There was a lot of a uh, Maitland influence. It's a very eclectic approach. I would say, uh, as far as like how similar I am, it just depends on who, who you're talking to. You know, not all MDT therapists are the same, obviously. I mean, you know that better than anybody. Uh, I definitely, if there's a directional preference to be had, you know, that's really good information. We have, a, there's a lot of data on directional preferences and centralization. I mean, if you can centralize symptoms, that's a very good prognostic factor. I am probably quicker to put my hands on a patient 
than what is typical for an MDT therapist, but obviously that's not universal. Um, you know, with what each person does, I'm all right. I like to know what I'm, what I feel with them. I feel like it definitely builds therapeutic alliance and I can get a little bit of inf- information a little bit quicker and they trust me quicker by doing that. Um, but I know MDT isn't against putting their hands on them. I would just say then the average of what my experience has been, I'm a little bit quicker too. Mm-hmm. I was asking, I was curious because I was having a discussion with my PT colleague that did your course and he is a mulligan instructor. So he was, we were discussing and he was saying like, oh, the MDT people, sometimes they just go crazy. Everything comes from the spine. So it was really good to do his course talking about you and have that discussion. And that's why I was like, okay, let me talk to him and you can have that discussion. So I was curious to see why did he see in your approach on your, the way that you explain things that could be different from, he, he had a lot, he has a lot of MDT friends too. So they, they discuss about the topic quite a bit. So he started a discussion on his social media and all of that. So I was just curious to see like what, what could be that we are missing also as MDT uh, trained. So like, should we go quicker to the extremity or like, is that, because as you were talking, I feel like it's, very similar the rationale of what you're explaining oh yeah i think that i think there's a lot of similarities you know of a classically mdt trained therapist with what i do i don't know if i go extremity sooner than what an mdt you know therapist would sure it depends on their experience we all have recency bias if we don't oh, yeah. think we do we're wrong yeah the yeah. last person extremity ended up spine we're going spine this one you know, the last one we spent too long on spine. We're going extremity this one. <laughs> so and I, they, I try and to wreck. And they keep being bit. hard just to keep us humble when you think like, okay, this one I know. And then you go and like nothing changes. Like, okay, I don't think I got it. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I know. I, recency bias plays a role for us all. Yeah. Yeah. We have to try to keep our minds open and don't let out what we think it is. Uh, guide us through and, and makes us go through a, a different route and just be stubborn and doesn't and don't listen to the 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 examination and the patient. So I would say that the longer I practice, the one of the benefits of experience has been to identify how much treatment is necessary to make a change for their presentation. Where earlier on in my career you know, I treat something that didn't work. The next session, I would go to something else. The next session, I would go to something. Then I would circle back around, you know, and I, would, I wouldn't I would spend long enough on something or I would spend too long. The longer I, the longer I treat and I'm thoughtful about how I treat, the, the more right I am, you know, with how long to spend on something before moving. I'm not perfect uh, by any means. We have somebody that we're in the cycle right now with, so definitely not perfect. But, uh, you know, like how much did I expect to see a change? And one of the ways that I do that is I, you know, I tell myself, sometimes I'll write in my note, this is what I would expect by visit two. And if they're not there, why not? So I start to gain a mental bank of, I treated the spine this much. I would expect 10% improvement. I would expect 50% improvement. And if they're, if I expected 50 and they're only 10, what did I miss? Am I barking up the wrong tree or did I not assess something well enough and they're going to be a slow you know, a slow responder. And so that way, by doing that, 
day after day, I have a better idea of how much treatment is enough before I move on to the extremity or if I'm on the extremity before I move back to the spines. And it could be sometimes also not adding enough pressure, not taking them to the end range of motion to see the changes. And I think that's what a lot a lot of people miss there. They just, okay, let's see if it's back. Do like a few extensions, repeat extensions, but you don't really put the pressure because as you said, sometimes it's not clear. So if you don't take them to the end range, add a lot of pressure, you might not see the difference and, and it could be relevant. You just didn't explore enough. Very true. I, like I said, I get to do a lot of teaching and mentoring here. And I'm sometimes like, you know, what with what you did, would you expect to have elicited that? You know, if they feel it after walking a mile, do you think you're going to do it with five back bends? You know, probably not. You know, like we have to match our intensity with what they say in the exam. Yeah. And I think that's the, the challenge. And that's difficult, like that to start gaining with experience um, to not give up too quick and not spend too much time. And then the patient is not engaged anymore and doesn't trust you or doesn't uh, believe in you because you're just not giving them what they expected. Yep. I, uh, that is very true. Too often we anticipate everybody being a slow responder and we just need physiology to take place. And if we can, if they can be a fast responder, we need to, we need to capitalize on that. Yeah. And then do you want, before we, I know we have a lot to discuss and we already discussed quite a few things, but do you want to give a few examples to help us like clarify everything that we mentioned or do you want to, uh, do you feel like you wanted to go over a few objective exams or whatever you feel like now would be more helpful? You know, I had a patient recently. She'd been in there for something else. I forget what it was. And it had been one of the the therapists was treating her, went to work at another one of our clinics. So I was taking, I was taking over the case and Finished off, and I, you know, to be quite honest, I probably didn't do a perfect job making sure I understood everything. I just kind of followed the plan of care. She came back in specifically for a foot pain on the other side. She said something had dropped on it. I just wanted to focus on the foot. I had students in there with me, and I was like, well, I better, I can't just cut corners now. <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't. It was a back issue all the way. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was like L5 myotoma weakness. It was sensitive on the L5, you know, as I was doing PAs and I was seeing a straight leg race test. She felt like it was very helpful as we did some neuro glides with it. She's like, oh, that really helped my pain. Uh, now I'm finding dermatomal findings and as we work on it, it approves. And um, so there's, and she didn't, she had thought that there was a back component to it. So that's part of the reason why I didn't cut corners. Like, oh, it's been feeling like, here. And I was like, oh, shoot, I got to do a good exam here. I can't, you know, it was near the end of the day. I thought it was going to be clear cut. I didn't want to think too hard. And we've all been there. So don't judge me too hard. And uh, I ended up doing a good job with her and we found it. And uh, it was a good teaching opportunity. So there's, they're definitely out there where you think that it's clear cut and it's, it's not. Um, and so we got it almost always unlooking at the spine. Yeah. And I think that's difficult. Like when you are treating with other clinicians in like our patient setting that sometimes the, the, the patient goes through different PTs. And then, like you said, is a foot. 
I had a case that was just like a foot pain. For me, it was clear that it was from the back from the first day. And then I did, she responded pretty quickly with like extension standing and she had pain walking and then her pain was gone like on the first day. Um, but then the other therapies are going to like, sometimes you get people that, like you said, foot pain. And then in the middle of the treatment, you're going to start assessing the back. That could be confusing and, 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 and difficult to do when you have other clinicians that sometimes don't think the same way you think and um, makes it difficult. That is, I know in some settings that is a, in a lot of settings, that's a big challenge. It's not so much where I'm at. They've, I was involved in the hiring of them all. So, you know, there's some cohesion there. I've been a mentor to everybody here, you know, so there's some cohesion with that. That does not say there's never disagreements, but we typically get close on the same page. But in some settings where people were hired at different times, you know, there's not a cohesive educational system for everybody. Are you stepping on toes? Are you making the patient confused? You know, can you, you sprinkle it in or is there no way they're going to get better unless you just totally change the plan of care? Uh, those are those are not easy situations for you and the patient, you and the other therapist. And sometimes you can't make it work and it's best to go to another practice setting. Sometimes you're able to make it work. Uh, it just depends on your personality and the personality of those around you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just when you mentioned going back to subjective, something that you said that I was going to ask you and I forgot about the seating. So for you, like when you see like pain seating, would that tell you that could be more back related? Is that what you meant? I wasn't just asking you clearly. Yes, so. Yeah. I'm, okay. One of the more difficult ones to find, and I'm sure you've seen this, is the low irritability um, flexion intolerance. You know, if people say every time I sit down, it starts running down my legs. That's not rocket science. You know, what's, you know, that sitting down is, you know, problematic for them. It's the ones where they sit for a while. And, you know, I had a guy that I was describing to him what flexion intolerance was like, oh, I have a bike that I sit on and he's bent over a lot. And then he goes, he rides it to the gym and then he starts exercising, you know, so he has no time for to decrease the creep that it occurred with that deep flexion sitting. And so I'm always looking for the, you know, his is problematic enough to come see me. It's not so irritable that he recognizes it. That's where we have to be good. If we only see what the patient sees, we're not doing a very good job. We have to see things that they are not seeing. That is, that is where expertise comes in. So I'm always looking for it's worse. Okay. So it's worse with gardening. It's worse with dishes, you know, the dishwasher bending over to get laundry out of the dryer and sitting, you know, what do you recognize, you know, is a similar thing with all those. And so I can start building that case for them. Yeah. Yeah. And you start to putting the pieces together. Um, and when you have um, radiating pain, for example, uh, that I, I read in one of your notes about the differences between in one leg or being on both sides. So do you ask them as an important question in the sense of differentiating if it could be like neuropathy or if it could be just a radiating pain from the back? Yeah, so there's so many diagnoses that could, you know, come whether it be centrally mediated, you know, something like MS uh-huh. um, or ALS, you know, it'll be more concerning. Um, to still pretty concerning, but is, you know, be caught at Aquinas syndrome. 
typically, I know often I was taught, you know, bilateral data shows that it could, you know, it could just be unilateral uh-huh. symptoms as well. Um, you know, it's a, a red flag if they're peeing themselves and they didn't notice, but if there's just a change in flow of, you know, stream, that's, that's an earlier sign. And if we can only, again, if we only pick up the obvious ones, you know, we're not that good. If they can Google it and be sure, you know, we're, you know, where's our expertise, our expertise is in finding it early before it's an emergency. Um, and then as far as, you know, as a PAD, is it a peripheral neuropathy? Is it, you know, central stenosis? Is it a cervical myelopathy? That's where we have to do a really good job of our neuro, neuro testing, their subjective and seeing how they respond to treatment. And then they don't improve requesting imaging. I mean, there's, we talk about too much imaging. Uh, I know there was some researchers presented to us by uh, Mike Ross, who I really trust as far as imaging and differential diagnosis. And he said, we also have evidence that people don't re- uh, recommend imaging enough when it's needed. Uh-huh. And so when we, one of the biggest factors is lack of improvement after four weeks, uh-huh. you know, that you're 80% better, 50% better, you know, that's improving. But if you're like five or 10, you're blaming it on them. Maybe you haven't found it. Maybe there's something more we need to, we need to get it. Yeah. Because what I think is confusing sometimes with some of my patients that I've seen, they come with, um, saying that they have neuropathy and they have uh, on both legs, both feet, but they come with back pain and they describe being more in one leg than the other, but both, they feel on both. So it starts to get confusing how you differentiate if that was before the back pain or if that's because then they they get some better, but they're still feeling the neuropathy uh, symptom. And you don't know how much you're going to actually be able to improve if that was before the back pain started. You know what I mean? So it can get confusing on that sense. Yes. So I have a pretty good example. I have a guy, nice guy, so easy to communicate with, which is always helpful when you're trying to figure things out if they're easy to communicate with. Um, as ankylosing spondylitis, uh, he has nerve damage, and unilateral L5 nerve damage, think from an injection, I'm not sure, some type of procedure, I forget now, and then bilateral idiopathic peripheral neuropathy. You know, so he tells his neuropathy, he's not sure though. And so our neuro exam has to be spot on, you know, like where is it a stalking, you know, feeling in the feet? Is it worse in the dermatome? We're doing sharp dull. And, um, and it seemed, and it was pretty accurate. Like we felt like it was one thing I've done. I don't have evidence for this. Um, but it's worked out pretty well for me, is I've used therapeutic ultrasound for idiopathic peripheral neuropathy. And if that is helpful, then I'm confident it's idiopathic peripheral neuropathy. I've not seen it be helpful for any other type of neuropathy. I've tried it with diabetic, no change. I've tried it with things that ended up, you know, being something else. You know, we found out a better diagnosis later, no change. But everything where they're not diabetic, they're having a stalking feeling, you know, the numbness, tingling pain, you know, in the stalking presentation. If I do it at the ball of their feet and I test balance before and after, there's an immediate improvement. And so that helps me with the differential diagnosis that it's uh, idiopathic peripheral neuropathy. And again, I don't have evidence on that, but I've I've played with it over a number of years and it's it's been quite helpful. So if it's helpful for you or any of the listeners. Okay, so you're just saying therapeutic ultrasound, like a treatment? 
Yeah, so we do high intensity. The only one we have in the clinic is one hertz. Those are a lot cheaper than three hertz. I wonder if three hertz would be would work better, but I only have a one hertz and it's been working great. So it's hard to it's hard to want to spend money on something that's not broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're just doing the ball of their foot pretty slowly. I want them to feel warmth. I want it to burn a little bit. Uh, but we have had, I I don't remember a failure on this. We've had it work, you know, I don't know, probably 20 times or so. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Um, Nick, before we transition to the final questions, do you want to add anything else to the uh, everything that we've been discussing or talking? Anything, are there, are there any other cases that you want to mention? Hmm. You know, as I think about the things that I get me the best information, it's all it's all PT one hundred one. It's just about doing it well and being thoughtful about it and understanding what we're saying. You know, repeated motions is not something I created. You know, myotome testing is not something I created. You know, accessory mobility testing not something I created. You know, I'm often heard it and I agree with it. Experts do the basics well. You know, you need to. You don't know what a test told you, then you didn't do it good enough or you didn't need to do it in the first place. Sometimes we do tests like, I don't know what that meant. Well, do it until you know what it means. You know, they'll go through and they'll do it like they learned in school. Well, now let's go back and do it again and more thoroughly and asking them questions. If you don't know what it means, do it until you can figure it out. It's just plain detective. It's all PT 101, but it's about doing it very well. Mm-hmm. To actually give you the information you need, and then you become more efficient as as you start seeing more and more patients, right? Yep, and that is it's, it. Very much helps in efficiency. Uh, Nick, so what is our favorite resource of information? Is there anything in particular that you recommend our listeners? Um, you know, I. I I get information from a lot of places, you know, and I write it down. I don't want it to be random. So I wrote down what I want to do for deliberate practice. How am I going to make sure that I'm staying current? Um, So I recommend that to people. You know, if you write down like, oh, I have nothing to write, you're probably not doing a good job of staying current. You know, if you're only getting it from one type of source, uh, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're just, you know, you're feeding into your bias, just confirmation bias. It's nice to hear things you disagree with at least a little bit. So that way you can process why or do you need to change? Uh, the most, where I get a lot of information is podcasts like this. I'm always looking for good podcasts. And as I've listened to, to yours, there's a lot of good information. You know, if you just listen to a podcast a day and you can apply a little bit of that with each patient, you do that for years. That is a lot of deliberate practice. Uh, I also get journals pushed to me. If I have to go out and seek it randomly, it's not going to happen. Now, sometimes I seek it for a specific patient, you know, scenario, but I have journals that are pushed to me and I make sure I go through them. I put them in my inbox and articles to read. So that way, when I have 10 minutes, I go there, I click it, I can open it up and I don't have to be like, oh, what should I read? You have to take me 10 minutes to figure it out. It can go there immediately. So those are my, my biggest ones. Awesome. And Nick, what would be the best advice you give to clinicians that are starting their careers? That being good is not only helpful for your patients, it's helpful for you. By deliberate practice, figuring out how are you going to get better and it can't be random. 
that decreases a lot of the problems of burnout. As we talk about burnout, it's it doesn't burn you out when patients are getting better. It burns you out when patients are not getting better. Now, that's not the only factor of burnout. I know there's a lot of other external factors that play a you know a role in that, uh, whether it be home life, setup of your you know practice situation. But if patients come in and they're high fiving you because of how they're doing, you know that's it's a lot harder to get burned out when you know what you're seeing with the patient and they can get that improvement. So it's about deliberate practice and making a plan to get yeah. better. And you know that you're making a difference. So that keeps you motivated and wanting to learn more and be able to help more people. And final question, Nick, what personal qualities and abilities that you think are important to be a successful PT? Communication is vital. If you try to match their personality, you know, if you go in there, you're super excited and they're a little bit, you know, on the lower excitement level, you can be overbearing. And then on the other hand, if the person is smiling when I, and you're just stone-faced, you're too serious trying to figure things out, uh, there's also a mis mismatch. You know, I've done a lot of motivational interview, you know, practice and studying. And a lot of that is just meeting the patient where they're at. You know, we're not dictating to them what they need to do. We're not just abdicating decision-making. Well, what do you want to do today? It's about a shared decision-making process. And that is hard. It is not easy. Some people it comes more natural to than others, but everybody, it takes a lot of practice to think, why were we not on the same page there? What can I do? What can I do better? So it's about communication and you're not going to be just a good communicator in the clinic and terrible everywhere else. It's about working on your communication as a yeah, human. Absolutely. It makes all the difference because the you got to get the buy-in and they have to be happy what you're doing. And yeah. Um, Nick, if people want to learn more about you, I know you, you teach some courses as well, how they can find you. So we have on our, my rainy pain and performance, that's our practice. It's uh, rainy. I, I thought it would only be me. It's grown a lot. I didn't realize we'd be able to grow in this, um, where we're at, but it's, we decrease pain and increase performance. So rainy pain and performance.com. There's a spot on there where I keep up to date with some of my courses. I teach a number of different areas. And I wanted to have a central resource to send people. So something about careers or, you know, something for clinicians. If you browse on there, you'll be able to find it. If not, shoot me an email. You can contact us on there and I'll, I can, uh, I'll help you find it or send you some awesome. stuff. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time and share your knowledge with us and, and help us clarify, clear the spine. Obrigado, Mariana. Oh, Devota. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. That's all for today's episode of PT Pro Talk. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you can be notified when we release future episodes. You can also join our email list to receive updates and new episodes at ptprotalk.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating or review and share with other clinicians you think might benefit from this conversation. We are always working to deliver you a better show and would love to hear your thoughts. If you have a moment, please help us by answering a quick survey and let us know what topics and people you'd like to hear, things you like about the show, and how we can improve. Thank you all of you who have already responded to the survey. It is very helpful. 
Also on the show notes, you can find the guest's contact information and favorite resources, links for the survey, our social media, YouTube channel where you can watch the whole episode, and our website where you can find more information about the podcast. Thanks again for listening and until next time.